Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Payne. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you yep. what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with my guy Anthony Slater out on the West Coast like myself. We are going dynamic duo today, Slater. Two-man show. What's up, brother? Sam, I remember this time last year, you know, a little bit, probably 11 months ago or so, um, we were in Phoenix, just scorching Phoenix, like 113 degrees in the desert, watching a really good, fun Bucks Suns finals. And then we both, I assume you did, spent yesterday watching Game Sevens. The Bucks and Suns get blown out. What? What did? What were the finals? In the, I mean, what the Bucks lost by like 28, and the Suns lost by 108. What was the final? Which game are you talking? Both, I mean, both were yeah. blowouts. That's what right. I'm just saying. Our, the yeah. finalists from a season ago, the the two teams that I think a lot. Oh of yes, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, to go yeah, hundred percent. You know what I thought about in that regard? So I'm sitting on my front porch. Um, it was a nice day. I ended up pulling out the. Uh, I got a TV on a on rollers that like a 50 inch. It's it's a, it's a little uh, toy I got at the house to mix up the viewing, and I bring it out to the patio, and I'm watching these games unfold. And I'm thinking to your point about memory lane about Monty Williams when the Suns lose in six, uh, making his way. Well, if you remember, Giannis Antetokounmpo was was in the hallway celebrating the Bucks championship, and then Monty becomes kind of part of their celebration, has that touching moment where he tells them all that, that they made him better and, and wishes them well and congratulates them. And on this same day, like you said, fast forward a year, we got Giannis and Monty both you know, going home early. Um, and it's funny... Within all that, part of this job, we say all the time, we don't have rooting interest. Like, what do we have? We have, for one, I never hesitate to say that certain human beings that you you do, you know, you're happy when they do well, when you think highly of who they are as people. Monty and Giannis, both for me, qualify as that. But also, it's the idea that uh, when you hit the road and you cover this stuff, we might root for cities that we enjoy being in. We might root for, for places like, by the way, Slater, the Phoenician, the uh, the Marriott property out in Scottsdale, Arizona, 
that we had gotten during the finals on a very reasonable rate, unexpectedly, where it was, you know, it was a nice setup and you and I are, are working poolside and, and not feeling too bad about the state of affairs. So this means no Phoenician in Phoenix. This means no Uncle Wolfies for me. I don't think you know that spot, but Eric Name, our Bucks beat writer, introduced me to this incredible joint in downtown Milwaukee that uh, that will not be part of my playoff experience. So so a lot to unpack there. But yeah, man, these these two giant teams going down. Well, you know, you walk into that Sunday with two game sevens thinking, you know, if Milwaukee wins in Boston, which, by the way, they had just won a huge game five, like they're the favorites to beat Miami. And you think if Phoenix takes care of what they should at home, and they had three blowout wins at home in that series already, right. uh, then they're the favorite in the West Finals. So you know you're heading into Sunday believing a Finals rematch is still you know a, a very possible outcome, maybe even a likely outcome. And then they both no show. And you know you could maybe Milwaukee's it's like less of a no show. I didn't love how they played defensively just giving Grant Williams like batting practice threes all game. But you know they get blown out. The Phoenix no show we should probably get to and just break down what you know what the hell happened there. Yeah, I, I mean nobody knows. They don't know. Um, you know, Pat Beverly, by the way, we were talking off air is just having himself a good old time on ESPN today, just doing a little well timed uh, I mean it's not a victory lap because his Timberwolves he, are also he is home. Dancing on Chris Paul's grave today. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't even caught all the clips. I caught the one with him calling Chris Paul a cone. Um, you know, did and, you, and did you see the one where he said before the night before he plays Chris Paul, he has uh wine and steak, and the night before he plays Steph Curry, he goes to bed at 8 p.m. and says, Nobody <laughs> calling. <laughs> wow, uh, wow is, is kind of all you can say. But the Suns, it is a man again. I mentioned, you know, I think highly of Monty. Uh, I've written a lot of nice things about their group this year and, and going into the playoffs. I tried to put it into historical context and talk about how, yes, we should see them as the title front runners because teams that are eight or nine games ahead of the rest of the field historically, like they were, they dominate and they have an extremely high percentage, you know, kind of odds of winning the whole thing. And so the expectations were great and they could not have gone out in a more humbling, embarrassing, just humiliating fashion. I don't know what to make of it. It was obviously early uh, that it started to unravel. I think it was 15 to five right out the gate. Luca hits his first couple of shots and you talk about being an assassin. You know, they kept you know commenting on the air about every shot he's making. He's grinning and he's smiling and he's looking at the crowd and, and, and the swagger was there and the Suns never responded. Devin Booker hits his first field goal with 502 left in the third quarter, Slater, third quarter. Devin Booker, this dude who is a monster and who, you know, I've had conversations with him about Kobe Bryant and, and how he fashioned his game after him. And he's got, you know, a killer instinct. He scored 70 in a game before. Um, I don't know where to begin with it, but it was awful. Just go back to last year's playoffs. I mean, remember him killing the Lakers season with like 40 and staples in a game six and uh, all the moments he had. Uh, but you know, I the stat I heard that I thought was crazy is I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker hadn't made a shot like the first until the Suns were down forty. Like by the time either of them made their first field goal, the Suns were already down forty. Uh, it was the best part is that you know Andrew. I don't want to make super producer Andrew Schlecht, who's always uh, listening in the background on the tampering pod. I, I don't want to make more work for you, but. 
feel free to pull out the audio of yours truly a couple weeks ago saying, you know, the Mavs are done. The Mavs are done. They're down 2 nothing. Phoenix has their number. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I declared the uh, Dallas death, and, and that looks pretty premature. Uh, you know, I do not think this is going to be a long series. I feel like they, they're going to take care of Dallas pretty quick. They What they've done is incredible. Obviously, going five out um, was a problem for the Suns. DeAndre Ayton ends up playing 17 minutes. A bit of a strange moment post-game when um, he gets asked, Monty Williams gets asked about Aiden's minutes, and he quickly fires back. Uh, it's internal uh, in terms of why he only played 17 minutes. You know, I poked around a little bit on that front, wasn't able to get anything. So, you know, that is strange. Um, just the idea that, that something appears to have happened there internally that Bonnie wasn't happy with. I just think he was playing like, poor defensively you know his sure. his last stint he's kind of just wandering around the court a little bit giving up threes i mean you mentioned the five out it's, it's a problem it's a problem for centers i mean 2022 you know while while centers went one two and mvp it's still the playoff landscape environment is still not conducive to bigs it just isn't and and dallas went small and i i i think it was more just Aiton, because Aiton wasn't hit being his like super active, versatile, get on the perimeter self, he just, Monty Williams didn't trust him defensively. What does it mean? You know, I wrote a little bit about this today. And usually when you have this kind of a, you know, absolute disastrous ending, coach could be in trouble, players could be dealt. Um, the Suns won 64 games. They, it would be, you know, it would not be wise to break anything up here. Uh, I really don't think this is an indictment of who they are. Uh, DeAndre Aiden coming up on restricted free agency. That could get a little messy, but the Suns obviously have the ability to match anything that comes his way. Devin, Chris, both on long-term deals. Booker's up for a Supermax extension. It's a $211 million over four years. So there's a lot of checks for Robert Sarver to, to cut here, and who knows if, if he will. He's got that reputation for frugality that, that he can shed if he wants to this summer. But really, the only free agent situations are, you're talking about uh, JaVale McGee and uh, Biombo, I believe, um, you know, Bridges on a long-term deal. You know, they're going to most likely run it back. But uh, do you feel like that's the way to go? Do you feel like it does actually change anything? Yeah, I think they should. Look, like, you know, playoff failures happen. This isn't a team who I think we just – all their flaws were laid to bear. I mean, I, I, you know, they had a no show in a game seven. Um, but Aiton is a restricted free agent. Like may the only way not having him on the roster next season makes sense is if they had get some sign and trade possibility that is just like too appealing to pass up. I don't even know what that would be. Is it like in Atlanta with John Collins type deal that, I'm right. not even sure I like that, but I'm just trying to even uh, spitball. So I think he should get paid. If if Robert Sarver is willing to pay everybody, this, like you said, was a 64-win team. They're a guaranteed regular season success that will be difficult to beat in the playoffs. They pro will probably all now be skeptical of them heading into the playoffs, even if they win 63 games or whatever next season. Uh, but I don't see... A better, you know, it's it's not a better option for them as if Chris Paul retires and DeAndre eight, and you know they just let him walk. Then suddenly they're a forty-five win regular season team, and certainly not a title contender. So, run it back with this core. 
I think the, the uh, I'm with you. I think I agree the the Chris Paul component of this, we should get into real quickly. And I, and to me, in terms of today's conversation and, and the way we're, we're going to take it, I think, you know, we'll finish with the Suns here. We'll talk bucks for a quick minute because they're done. And then we'll start looking ahead to these two matchups in the conference finals. But CP man, you know, it seems like yesterday that he was hitting 14 out of 14 shots in that one game, making history, playing like a man on fire. Um, and But yet again, he, he just has this you know ill-fated ending to a playoff run. I happen to peek at the old StatMuse Twitter feed. If, if you don't follow StatMuse on Twitter, it's a great follow. Um, a quick couple of numbers for you. Chris Paul, since turning 37 years old, that's five games, 27 assists, 22 turnovers, 20 fouls, 17 baskets. I mean, just a brutal finish. Um, I should mention, and I know fans were, you know, kind of rolling their eyes at this because it, it has happened in the past, but after the game ends, uh, Mark Spears of Anscape reports that Chris was apparently dealing with a left quad injury and could be seen uh, limping out of Footprint Center and that he didn't want to comment on the injury. You know, there was stuff last year with his hand that it did seem like came into play in the finals Part of that is 36, 37 years old. I mean, he's getting up there. But yet again, you know, CP with his what looked like his best shot at finally winning the whole thing and to have it end like this is pretty brutal. Another aspect of Chris Paul's night that Patrick Beverly seemed to be poking fun at was that. Um, I didn't see that part. You're talking about the, the injury? Yeah, Beverly before the game ended tweeted something about like, you know, we wait to see who says they had an injury post game now, you know, right, like, right, you know, right. like this is, this is something he always says. I look, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not about to. Here's question. my thing there. I mean, I'm not about to either. I will say that even the players get, it's, it's interesting to see how they move when it comes to that. What you're hitting on is that idea of, you know, how much you share about physical challenges. So, mid regular season this year, I have a conversation with Giannis that I enjoyed greatly where if you remember, he talked really openly about, you know, a lot more detail about what happened in the finals last year or the conference finals when he gets hurt and hyperextends his knee and it looks like he's out for a long time, ends up coming back um, in the finals, obviously an epic performance. And and what he shared was more detail about how he was on the edge of, of having a much more serious injury the entire time. And so it was compelling, but it was also the only reason he admitted that back then, and this was in the interview, is because I had mentioned to him that the Suns and Chris Paul in particular had had been talking about, you know, injuries that bothered them in the finals. And I think that it was essentially him saying, well, if you're going to start pulling out excuses, then I'm going to tell you what I was going through. And so there is this code where some people choose not to talk about it, but then, you know, it is a little bit of an annual tradition. You know, I remember when the, the Cavs lost to the Warriors one of those years in the finals, you know, right after that closeout game ends is when we're learning about LeBron's, uh, why am I forgetting it? Was it his hand? Yeah, remember he just came to the podium with a, like a right, cast right. on suddenly. Well, and I remember like I had, I had actually broke that like right before he came to the podium, somebody in the hallway kind of offered it. And it was like, you know, that's the kind of thing that, okay, now now it gets offered because, you know, the outcome wasn't uh, what they wanted it to be. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not questioning the validity of those injuries, but there's definitely like a, you know, 
control the narrative type aspect yeah, to like that's when what it is. those are revealed. Right, right, no doubt. On the other side, and we'll make this part of it quick. Uh, any thoughts on on the Bucks ending and Giannis in particular? You know, my my column today talked about the fact that I got these memories Slater of the bubble where I, I didn't really know the Bucks group as well back then. And I remember watching Giannis, watching Mike Budenholzer, you know, being at these press conferences uh, as they lost in the second round to Miami. And honestly, just walking away going, oh, this group, like there's something that drives me crazy about this group. Giannis is a transcendent talent. Budenholzer back then was constantly talking about the need, uh, need to manage his minutes. So he played around 33 minutes a game in the playoffs in the bubble. Um, and that was, but then once you factor in the fact that game four against Miami second round, he has an ankle injury. He's out for the series, only played 11 minutes in that game. So that number actually was like 30 and a half for the play, uh, the whole playoff run. But bottom line, Bud back then would try to tell us that a player like Giannis, when he's putting out so much physically, every time he's out on the floor that he had a quote that I thought was pretty damning that 35, 36 minutes is about the ceiling of what you can do uh, in the playoffs. Well, that mentality clearly no longer exists. The last two years, as the Bucks have gone on to win the title, and then this year, give it a spirited defense without Chris Middleton, you know, Giannis is playing big minutes, played 43 in Game 7, averaged, I think, 38 for the playoff run, um, played his ass off. I don't know how else to say it. He was a monster. You know, the line that he just put up, and I need to cheat and, and look at it here, um, has never been done in the playoffs. We are talking 31.7 points a game, 14.2 boards, and uh, 6.8 assists. Nobody's even close. In fact, I looked at you know marks of 25, 12, and 6 for a playoff run. Only four other guys had, had ever done even that. Just kind of gives you an idea how dominant he was. So to me, you know, the Suns go down in shame, so to speak, and and I don't think that's the case at all for the Bucks. Well, a lot of that is, you know, the legacy aspect where the Bucks lose, but we're not debating like can Giannis ever get it done in Milwaukee? You know, like if the Bucks had didn't have a title, if they did not win last season, I think we would have been discussing them a lot differently heading into that game seven and. Budenholzer, by the way, if they don't win last year, Budenholzer might not even be there. But let's say he was. We'd probably right. be talking like Budenholzer's job potentially on the line. You know, will Giannis ever be able to get over the hump? Or is he just a regular season MVP type of player? But they had one. And when you have one, you've kind of earned that trust, respect, whatever, where a lot of the conversation about Chris Paul is like, you know, ringless, right? Championship list still. Um, whereas Milwaukee, it's like, yeah, you didn't win this year, but you've shown you can. And and I think there's every belief that they will, again, return next season a contender. They probably need some roster tweaks. And, and, and you know, again, I didn't love Budenholzer's defensive strategy in Game 7, but you don't doubt Giannis as a champ. Because I hear you. I do hear you. But, I mean, first of all, I love your, your phrasing of, what would you call them, batting practice threes? Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. I like that. But like Grant Williams never done this before. So I know that they should have adjusted, but nothing ever even remotely close to this. And and that is what you sometimes see in the playoffs is is role players coming out of nowhere. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie was left for dead earlier in this series against the Suns. And and you know, and listen, he's a guy who's explosive and, and you gotta be ready for, it, but but he goes off and, and helps bury the Suns in, in game seven. Um the Grant Williams thing to me was just completely out of left field. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you don't expect him to necessarily take, what, 16 and make however many he did, like eight or so. But it was just, it wasn't even just him there. You know, they're having, obviously, Brooke Lopez just sit in the paint and Derek White's lining up threes, Peyton Pritchard, Marcus Smart. Like, you know, they Boston has enough guys that if you just give them straight up wide open, like not even a late contest, right? There wasn't even like a, you're getting it off, but I'm at least getting my hand up as I'm like, you know, running out at you. It was like, right. all right, go ahead. Like, these are NBA players. Like, you know, what? go look at what they were. Milwaukee was outscored by three in this series. It, it, it's insane. I just, I don't think. Was it a, what was the discrepancy in game seven? I think it, it was, was like absurd. Boston made 20 and Milwaukee made four, I believe. Yeah. You don't win in 2022 that way. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. I think the other thing for me of, of not, you know, throwing too much shade on Milwaukee is that, you know, I just hold Boston in incredibly high regard. They're a really, really, really good yeah. team. They they just took care of Brooklyn, you know, in the kind of way that not a lot of people thought was possible. Um, they've got the superstar in Jason Tatum. Yeah, Jalen Brown right there with him, kind of trying to keep up with his his kind of fellow alpha male. Um you know they're not a perfect team, but defensively, they are incredible. Uh, you know the Bucks had the third best offense in the league this year. They kept them in check in this series. So, in general, I thought Boston was better equipped to advance. And, and then once the Middleton thing gets taken into account, you know, I mean, I just you got to remember how important that guy is to what they do. So the idea that the last ten games, three against Chicago, seven against Boston came without Middleton and they still almost got this thing to the the East Finals is pretty incredible. Yeah, and again, if they if they advance beyond Boston, we probably all consider them title favorites, would you? I mean, cuz like there's a lot of talk I just know series. I'd love the well series. I, I mean, we talked earlier about about rooting for things. I was a little bit of rooting for like another Milwaukee Miami matchup because from a storyline 
standpoint, I am fascinated by it because, you know, again, go back to the bubble. Remember when Miami got out against the Bucks in that series in the second round? And the narrative and the question was, why the hell is Giannis not ever guarding Jimmy Butler? Jimmy was destroying them. And the undercurrent back then, because we questioned Giannis a lot because he hadn't done it yet, was like, is this guy afraid of the moment? Is this guy afraid to lead his team and just do what's got to be done? Um, And so, you know, the tone around Giannis was so different then. Well, then you fast forward a year. They make quick work of them in the title defense playoff run. Um, so to have kind of a, a rubber match, if you will, I think would have been great because this Miami team is is nothing to to kind of sneeze at either. They are uh, they're they're dangerous. They're deep, and Jimmy is you know forget this whole bubble Butler idea. Like Jimmy's doing more right now than he did in the bubble. His numbers are better, more productive, more impactful. I mean, he might be the MVP of the the entire playoffs right now. The Heat are favored in Game One. I believe Boston is the favorite in the series, but that's, you know, that's interesting. Does that surprise you? Heat are slight favorites at home in game one with more rest. But No, it doesn't shock me. Um, I just I think it's a tight series. I think it's going to be a fun series. I mean, you talk about, you know, uh, the casuals, as, as we say these days, that don't think that there's any defense in the NBA. Um, watch this Boston-Miami series, and you'll see that's just not the case. I think that part of it. Is going to be fun to watch, but it's not going to be an in the mud, you know, slug it out, boring series that you you might think it would be because it's defense first. They there is enough, I think, sparkle here to to kind of compel people to tune in as well. When you're talking about Tatum, who's incredibly exciting to watch, and Jimmy, who to me is is a great watch. Um, I think there's a lot here. You got, you know, the Heat. We sometimes forget. And, you know, let's let's go down this road and, and just talk East Finals a little bit. I think we sometimes forget, you know, the history of the Heat, the pride of the Heat, and, and just the idea that this is a weird way to frame it, Slater, but, you know, you cover the Warriors, and we constantly write and talk about how they are trying to extend their dynasty right now, right? And the, the Heat don't have a dynasty right now, but they have this long history of sustained success with championships mixed in where they do still have a championship pedigree and this is how they talk internally and the characters who are the driving forces behind their program, you know, these are the same people who who put D. Wade and, and Shaq together to win championships back in the day, who brought LeBron and Chris Bosch and D. Wade to town, you know, during that era. It's Pat Riley and his entire group, Andy Ellisberg, his right hand man in the front office, you know, Eric Spolster on the sideline. Like we we sometimes forget how real that cast of characters is and how, how, how tough they are. And, and to me, you know, that, that comes into account in, in this kind of a matchup. Heat culture. Yeah, baby. Uh-huh. It yeah. is real. So, like it's cliche and tired and real at the same time. You know, it's okay. like we yeah. talk about it too much, but it is a real thing. Yes. Um, so you were talking about like Milwaukee, Miami and like their recent history and why that would you know, make for an intriguing series. It would basically be what a third straight season they played in the playoffs and almost the rubber match from a series perspective. But Miami and Boston had some history, right? You mentioned some of those, you know, dynasty heat teams or whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, remember the Garnett Pierce, uh, East finals that where they were playing LeBron and they had LeBron's number. Right. And finally, like that's, this is the team that LeBron's heat finally got over the top against right. with that game six in Boston. 
Um, and then the other one is this is this was the East Finals matchup in the bubble two years ago. Uh, remember that series? Plays I can remember. Uh, Tatum going to the rim. I think this was like game one or game two with the game on the line and that insane block by Bam Adebayo yep. on a Tatum dunk attempt. And then I believe it was with his the hand game like bent five. backwards into the rim. Swing game in the series could go either way. Tyler Hero, as a rookie, by the way, had like thirty six. It was like Tyler Hero's breakout moment. Um, so, and and he'd obviously won that. Went to the bubble finals. Was that and, the snarl? Uh, was that the Tyler snarl? Yes. yes. Snarl strong. It was like a, <laughs> it almost seemed like an Instagram like face. I don't know. No, I mean, it, but, you it, know, this is no, there's there's history in this match. There is history here. I think it'll be good. Um, you know what? We should I guess we should do the old prediction game. What? Who do you got here? Miami or Boston? Boston in six. I would take Boston's defense and shooting. They're modern. They're switchable. They're enormous. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you have like two prototype wings with Tatum and Brown, but beyond that, like Grant Williams is like a PJ Tucker, essentially like a, a young PJ Tucker with like just huge, big body can guard, um, you know, different types of offensive players. You could see him on Butler for a time. If they're small, he could guard out of bio. Marcus Smart, just one defensive player of the year. I haven't mentioned him. He's part of that defense. Robert Williams is, you know, he's in the lineup. He's out. I do think that's a factor to keep monitoring. But if he is healthy, he's obviously an elite shot blocker, weak side. Um, Al Horford, you know, as steady as they come. He's playing really well. He's had a good playoffs. Like, to me, this just seems like Boston's time, especially after that series. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's, Interesting to me that Miami's favorite in game one. I mean, maybe that is just like, hey, you know, there might be an emotional letdown after that series for Boston. I mean, that was difficult. Um, and Miami's was a little bit more of a cruise against Philadelphia. Cruise might be a little bit too much. But where are you at on it? I, uh, I'm i I'm right down the middle. I, I, I feel myself wanting to pick Miami um, because in terms of their their energy, I, I would probably go that direction. But but you know it's the numbers and it's the grit and it's the you know the Ime Odoka factor. Um, I'm a big believer in and the way he is leading their group, the way he's convinced Tatum and Brown to tweak what they do offensively just enough, you know, to to hide some of their deficiencies on that end. And you know, there's still the occasional Marcus Smart moment that makes you feel like as great as he is that that it might cost you a game. Um, because they just get a little sideways sometimes with how they they function on the offensive end of the floor when he's involved. So I think it'll be tight. This is a weird pick because, you know, I mean, I guess we just saw the Mavs run the Suns off their home floor in a game seven, so it can happen. Uh, I'll probably go – I'm going to go Boston in seven, which means they got to win in Miami in that finale, but I think it's going to be that tight. Yeah, I think a lot of times too often when we – pick these series we want to always have the elimination game at home you know like if you're picking the underdog you're like i just picked celtics in six you're like you know road teams gotta close it out in six or you know if you are picking the series in seven take the home team if it's in seven right. but like you said i mean these they're just basketball games like i understand that well the numbers are at 76 percent is what they had on the telecast last night of home game sevens go the way of the home team so um but those are just But numbers. every situation is 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 very different, you know. For sure. And it's like you saw it last night like Luca and the Luca just 
filleted this season in Phoenix. <laughs> I'm now envisioning Luca with a knife in his hand and, and a fish in front of him filleting. All right, let's talk Mavs, brother. These Mavs are coming at your Warriors. Um, this West Finals is going to be fun. Um, you know, we expected to be in Phoenix for the first two games. Next thing you know, it's in San Francisco. Um, this is just not a matchup that anybody saw coming. You know, the, the Mavs, they do that trade at the deadline. Porzingis to Washington. Dinwiddie. Um, uh, Bertans. Why am I forgetting? Anybody else in that deal? Dinwiddie and Bertans. Yeah, coming back for, for, for Porzingis. Um, folks didn't necessarily understand it, you know, because Porzingis was supposed to be a co-star to Luka and nobody saw Dinwiddie or Bertans in that light. But but fit and finding the right fit around Luka Doncic, as great as he is, um, is something that's been a bit of a moving target for the Mavs early on in his career. And, and I don't even know if they would, I think they would have to admit they didn't necessarily see you know, Dinwiddie and Bertans as the answer here, and it might not be the answer for the future, but right now it is working. And what you're seeing is with an incredibly high usage guy like Luca, um, it is opening up the floor for him. It is getting bigs out of his way. It is putting shooters around him. And it is also, of course, you know, giving him the microphone, so to speak, you know, for as long as he wants it every single night. And he is proving worthy of that. He's putting up historic numbers, just embarrassed the Suns on their home floor. Do you think that he has it in him to challenge these Warriors who are coming at him with a much deeper kind of layered group, much more deeper layered group than uh, than the Mavs? You know how these conversations go in the playoffs where oftentimes, you know, especially pregame or, you know, when you're in the arena and you're talking to several people throughout typically the organization you cover, a lot of times you're talking about the other series, right? It's like such a conversation starter. You walk up, hey, you know, what? who's going to win Buck Celtics? Um, you know, and obviously spent plenty of the last couple of weeks, like pregame before these Grizzlies-Warriors games, like talking Suns, Mavs with, with people within the Warriors. And there was a lot of noise from them of like, yeah, you'd have to start the series in Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix is the 64-win team that... Seemed like the machine, and at one point in that series, they were up 2-0, but a lot of people within the Warriors are like, Dallas is tricky. Like, I'm not sure that's the matchup that that they prefer. And, you know, the entire time you're going thinking Phoenix is going to win it, and I think their scout people, their prep people were more prepared for Phoenix because that just was the expectation. Um, but, not, you know, they are... They have what would you call the Greg Popovich appropriate fear of uh, Dallas. Like they think this is going to be a, a, a very tricky matchup for them. And I've had a few people compare it to their meetings with the Rockets and Harden back in you sure. know prime James Harden, yeah, yeah. which is especially if you go the you know, later era. You know when they went. You know I don't know if you're going as late as the Westbrook era where they they trade Capella and they end up you know going five out similar. Yeah, no, not that one, but it, I would say more, you know, obviously they had Capella, which, you know, you, I guess you could kind of compare him to Dwight Powell. He's better, more of a lob threat. But, you know, oftentimes, even in those Harden days, this is generally the, the comparison. Harden and Luka, slow-moving, like generational offensive talents that, that control everything. They hunt switches. They hunt fouls. They have defenders like the Trevor Rezas, the Eric Gordons, the P.J. Tuckers that just circle the perimeter and wait to catch and shoot just like a lot of these Mavericks and 
you know, they're they're just trying to like, you know, basically three and D you to death with their generational offensive talent. And and Luca and Harden have a lot of similarities to their game, really. Um not anymore. And it's just <laughs> throwing shade. It's diff what? I was just kidding. I said not anymore. Harden James is not the same guy these days. Oh no, yeah. no, no. But um Do you think uh, you know, give away the Warriors playbook if you have an early sense of it. I mean, you know, are you trapping Luca and making everybody else beat you? Are you, you know, are are you forcing Luca to to fire off as many one-legged step back, you know, bank three-pointers as possible? How do they approach this thing? So, their last matchup, their fourth game they played this season and, and I wrote a huge preview that's on the Athletic um I, that I would if anyone's really interested in diving deep into the series, I would suggest um, going into that because please do because Slater didn't get enough sleep because of this detail but preview they, their fourth game this season it was in Dallas and the Jason Kidd who by we you know we can get to him and, and the type of defense he's built uh, this season and, and that that's at the core of what Dallas is right they gave a 27 first half points to Phoenix um, that's how they just won that series they trapped Steph Curry, like like in this fourth quarter, Steph Curry played 12 fourth quarter minutes and had zero shots. He was upset about it post game. He was like, I remember, you know, the food line in Dallas outside the visiting locker room. I remember. Oh, yeah. 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 Chatting with him after the yeah. game. He was frustrated. The Warriors had lost like seven to nine at that point. It was like their worst part of their season. And he was kept going zero shots. Like I got zero shots in the fourth quarter. He was really upset about it. And in his post game, and you rarely hear him talk this honestly about like tactics, but he had a quote, and I put it in the preview I wrote about maybe we should have taken a page from their playbook and and um, you know trapped the star essentially because while he was every time there was a screen near him he's getting jumped in the fourth quarter the Warriors were letting Luca just it was a switch everything pick his poison okay I want to go at Steph okay I want to go at Clay he was basically able to get Andrew Wiggins off him and then the Warriors weren't trapping or doubling and he just down the stretch while Steph's getting doubled, he is just beating one-on-one matchups and closing out the Warriors. And it was just interesting to me that Steph suggested publicly kind of like, hey, maybe we should sure. trap the star. Sure. Um, and that's something to note going into this series. But at the same time, that's not... The Warriors' defensive ethos has always been shut off the others, let the star score let him be a score don't let him just pick you apart just look at what has happened in these playoffs Nikola Jokic what do they do Nikola Jokic averaged 31 against the Warriors in the first round but they're like you know don't let the Aaron Gordons of the world get off don't let him just pick you apart passing let him score you're gonna win they end up winning that series obviously John Morant the first three games of the Memphis series John Morant averaged 38 in those first three games but Warriors are up 2-1 because they sagged off Morant packed the paint stayed on the shooters and said, you know, if you're going to go ahead and score 40, essentially, uh, but defensively, they believe the process is the correct process. So I think they're going to try to let Luka be a scorer all series, but they can't just as easily let Luka just go, Jordan Poole's on the court, let me, you know, high screen, let me switch and go after him. Curry, you know, they, they need to be a little bit more... I mean, you know, first of I all, folks forget with how they handle Luca, even if they want to make him a score. Folks forget how big Luca is. I mean, he's posting up Aiden yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, so he, you talk about yeah. picking your poison. I mean, he he will take on anybody on the court, and and I wonder in the context of the Warriors Memphis series. You know, obviously when Stephen Adams becomes part of the picture, 
Um, the Warriors eventually end up having to finally counter and go big, and you got the Looney Draymond final game decision that was driven by Draymond and Steph too, right? Isn't that was was Steph part of that yeah. discussion? Yeah. So they have a precedent. They both they both wanted Looney. right. So the I mean, if that means anything, they've reminded their stars recently that they have a voice here and they have some agency when it comes to how you know these choices get made. So you do wonder behind the scenes, will Steph have something to say? about Luca, about the approach, um, you know, that part will be really interesting. Because um, on paper, you know, you, at least for me, I'm compelled to say, no, I think the Warriors are the better team, even though they didn't look great at times against Memphis. And so, you know, Warriors and six, whatever you might want to say. But, to you know, having just watched Dallas dissect Phoenix the way they did, now I got a hard time just overlooking them at all. I mean, they have something very unique and obviously something that now has a pretty special kind of momentum and energy coming into this series. Yeah. Um, the Gary Payton, the second absence hurts the Andre Iguodala absence hurts. Those are two of their better options, obviously, uh, you know, in a, in a Luca environment, Andre's being reevaluated on Thursday, but he continues to they continue to just say another week, another week. So I, I'm not. What's the Otto Porter uh, status? Otto Porter rode the stationary bike Sunday. They're practice. They're having a big practice Monday. He sounds like he's probably going to practice, and they said hopeful for game one. Steve Kerr is back, by the way. I should mention, um, and you know Gary Payton is trying to come back. <laughs> He's not going to start the series, but they're not ruling him out for the full series. Gary Payton is a little, you know, he's a little psychotic in that sense of like, I think he's once, the, once that Terminator elbow is, you know, cleared enough by the doctors, he can get on the court. I think you might see him again, which is crazy, but uh, that's notable. No, for sure. I mean, when I was there the other night, Friday in that last Grizzlies game, the sense I got on the Payton front was that, for sure, you know, in the finals, they thought that there was a good chance of him coming back. But, yeah, the idea of him being in this series would be huge. Um, what about uh, somebody the other night had brought up the Kaminga factor? Do you think Kaminga comes in? You know, and, and I know he, he doesn't have his uh, his stripes yet, so to speak. But athletically, size-wise, uh, as far as a, another body to throw at Luka, could you see him playing a part? They did it in the regular season. Three out of the four games for for extended stretch well, I shouldn't say extended stretches it was more like you know go guard him for five possessions and they told him pick up full court essentially so I do think it's a it's a good option for them as their strategy is going to be to tire Luca out that means bringing him in every action going at him defensively you know chipping him on screens because that you know the the more you tire him out the the less effective you would think he would be offensively um so part of that I think is going to be put you know, the young teenager who's, you know, six foot eight or whatever and incredibly strong and quick athletically, like, you know, a 99th percentile athlete. When they did it in the regular season, they had Kaminga basically guard him on the inbounds, pick him up full court, really play him aggressively. And I, I put, uh, you know, it's probably like a two minute compilation of him guarding Luca in the regular season. It's, it's intriguing. Um, now, the problem is, at least a couple times in those clips, he fouls Luca because, like I said, he's over-aggressive, and we know Luca's tactics against that at times. You know, one little pump fake, Kaminga's probably going to fly, and he jumps into him. So, And that's the type of stuff that Kerr, like, can't trust Kaminga. He'll come out of the game. And and you, we've seen in these playoffs, they've wanted, they've tried to play Kaminga more, but it's just, you could tell the trust isn't there. But he is athletically a really intriguing option on Luca. 
I think it was uh, the great Charles Barkley mentioned that on the TNT telecast last night. So he uh, he was paying attention. All right, brother. Um, prediction wise, uh, let, let's check that box. What are you thinking here? I said Warriors in seven. Um, you know, home court matters. Uh, obviously, Dallas has shown they can win on the road. They've closed both their series on the road. Um, they'll probably get one in chase. But, you know, the stat I mentioned in, in the previews, the Warriors have an NBA record. They have won a road game in 25 consecutive playoff series. Um, so you got to figure they'll probably get one in Dallas, too. So, you know, I do think it's going to be a close series. The Dallas kind of picks it at some of the Warriors' defensive weaknesses. You know, they give up corner threes. Dallas hits a lot of corner threes, obviously, what Luke is going to do. So I think it's going to be challenging. One of the factors I'm really looking at in this series is like just Jordan Poole's um, uh, involvement. Like he must score a lot and, and be a second side, you know, playmaker for Steph Curry because of the way Jason Kidd is likely to play Steph Curry. But. Dallas more than maybe any team goes matchup hunting, right? You know, they pick on guys. Watch out, With Luka. Yep. Jordan Poole is like wearing the biggest target (laughs) on his back. So they've got to find a way to keep Jordan I say this like respectfully because he's a hell of a player and we talked about him recently. Um, But man, watching him in the Memphis series from a physical standpoint, I mean, you got Desmond Bain who's built like an MMA fighter. You know, um, Dylan Brooks is is in beast mode all the time. Jordan, they had a few edgy moments in that series where Jordan would find himself kind of in the in the middle of a, a little like on the edge of being a little scuffle, and and you would just see his kind of skinny little body trying to get out of there because he you know he's just not built that way. He and that is what you see defensively where you know you, he does get hunted and he's gonna have to keep learning how to deal with that and then and then probably hit the old uh, weight room in the off season. But, you know, I think that'll be a factor for sure. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's on Jordan Poole. As like Jason Kidd said about Luka, who, by the way, again, the Warriors are probably going after. Remember when Luka had a really bad first couple games defensively, they're down 2-0, and Kidd had the whole, like, you need to be a participant defensively. Right. Um, that is the Warriors' mindset with Poole. Like, hey, you know, it's it always has been. It's it's one of his, the difficulties he had his first couple seasons getting on the floor. It's like get in the mix, you know, chip a guy on a box out. Beef. They they want him to be a more physical player, but I also think it's on the coaching staff. They need to scheme up the pool involvement. You know, they cannot just say, "All right, soft switch it." You know, you they want Andrew Wiggins on them, but it'll, it'll boom, quick screen, and suddenly it's Jordan Poole out on the perimeter. You can't allow that. Maybe that means hedging it back. Maybe that means, you know, selective double teams, even if they don't like to double, but they cannot just let Luka go against Jordan Poole whenever he Right, wins. right, right. No, I agree. By the way, uh, man, Jason Kidd just coaching his ass off. I mean, he's he's just yeah. doing incredible work. There was He was mic'd up for the closeout game in Phoenix, and, and one of the more... I thought revealing um, kind of, you know, mic'd up segments I've ever seen is, is just Jason on the sidelines screaming at his guys with, with re- very specific defensive assignments, you know, and they had actually set up the, uh, you know, picking the side of the floor in the, in the way that he wanted his defense in front of him in the second half. Um, and so he's he's just had an incredible impact on their group. I'm going to keep with my trend of road teams getting the job done late in a series and I'm going to go Warriors and six and say they can actually get this thing done in Dallas, but I think it'll be a good series for sure. 
Yeah, a lot of uh, you will see over the next few days. A lot of national people are going to pick Dallas, and I completely understand that that selection. I do. This is. I think this is going to be a very good West Finals. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Call one eight hundred Directv. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, before we get out of here, going to empty the notebook real quick on some stuff I wrote today, just if you have any thoughts on it. Um, you know, we got off-season action always happening this time of year. Um, Lakers still looking for a coach, you know, probably more happening on that front this week, but I wrote a little bit Slater about some stuff we've learned in their coaching search, uh, in terms of how they see their team internally. Um, so the candidates that they've talked to so far, uh, I was told have been asked as part of the process to discuss, you know, obviously how they they would plan on using the roster, but it was with Russell Westbrook, you know, 100% being part of the program and that it was, you know, a bit of a focal point in terms of that conversation. So the the evidence continues to pile up that while we all assumed that they were going to, you know, find a way, some way, somehow to trade Russell Westbrook, that there is this kind of growing sentiment internally that, that you know, maybe we try to make the best of a bad situation and, and really when they chose to fire Frank Vogel, agree or not, and, and I'm not endorsing either point of view here, it's just a matter of kind of reporting the the internal thinking. When Vogel was fired, what is abundantly clear now is that they believe that he did not do a good enough job with the Westbrook situation and that Russ was not put in a position to succeed. I think most fans, most media members would would roll their eyes at that idea and, and put the culpability mostly at Russ's feet, but you know, it seems like the Lakers are, are, you know, looking at it that kind of a way and the subtext there or subplot rather 
is, you know, the Phil Jackson influence remains um, where he's been in pretty frequent contact with Lakers owner Janie Buss. And, and his thoughts on Russ seem to be influencing the situation a bit here. And I even quickly, uh, I shared a, a quick anecdote in the column about how in 2004, you remember the old uh, Gary Payton, um, Carl Malone Lakers team that got to the finals and, and fell short. Um, Phil was the coach of that team. And, and there's kind of a story that was going around that that he had used to uh, to illustrate the point that a coach has to make the best of of a roster that, that maybe isn't exactly what he wanted. So Phil had won three titles in four years up to that point. Uh, when Jerry Buss decides that, you know, we're going to add some star power to the group, add Gary Payton, add Carl Malone. Uh, Payton in particular, his presence meant that Phil had to go to Derek Fisher and to convince him to come off the bench, which was a tough sell considering, again, they had fallen short the year before, but before that it was three straight titles. Um, the takeaway was, you know, Phil made it work. Yeah, they didn't win the title, but Derek came off the bench. Gary played well enough that they got to the finals. And and you just that's what you do as a coach. And it, it almost feels like now the spirit of that is is now kind of driving um the coaching search where it's like, all right, Russell Westbrook is owed forty seven million dollars. The NBA is not exactly looking to help us in terms of trade possibilities. We don't want to give away all of our assets to move him. Um, and so, you know, that seems to be where it's at. What? How does that hit you? I think it's a mistake. I think the Westbrook trade obviously was a mistake. This is a little bit of them double downing, d- doubling down on it, and on you know, in one of LeBron's last possible seasons, I think, to, to you know, lead a title team. Uh, I just... I don't think it was a Vogel problem last year. Like I understand that that he didn't maybe make you know create such a conducive environment for Russell Westbrook, but I think Frank Vogel. I I re- really respect Frank Vogel's coaching opinions, and I think his opinion is like Russell Westbrook is not a winning player anymore. You know, at this stage of his career, he's like a fading talent that is really in some ways actively destructive to winning basketball games, and to a point where. You know, if you're employing him or not next season, like I think the Lakers might be better. Like if Russell Westbrook is just not part of the rotation, essentially. So right. I think if you are making your next coaching decision based around the idea of like figure out a way to to make Russell Westbrook work in, on a winning team next season, I think it's a losing proposition. So I just think it's a mistake. That's all. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, and I, it might not be this simple, but it does. It it strikes me largely as a product of. I mean, the Lakers have had a player-first culture since the beginning of time, it seems. Um, you know, they 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 gave Kobe kind of the legacy extension near the end of his time when his play on the court didn't seem to reflect that kind of market value. Um, but that's who they are, right, is, is kind of player-first until the end. And this feels like they just, you know, yet again, and certainly with, with Jeannie kind of setting the tone, that the idea is that, uh, you know, that, that – Russ was was somehow wrong. That's not what I saw covering the team fairly closely. Um, you know, he's he has not been willing to discuss tough things like coming off the bench. Um, you know, was pretty quick to take shots at Vogel near the end after Vogel was out. Um, so the accountability didn't really seem to be there. So, I mean, if if this trend continues, and who knows? I mean, things could happen. Maybe I'm wrong, and and they deal him here at some point. But if they don't, man, it, it is lining up to be 
another, uh, you know, compelling, if not successful Lakers season next year. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I also think that Westbrook trade twisted them into a pretzel that I don't think they're coming out of. Now, while there will be drama, I'm like currently as I, as I, as you map out next season, I don't really, it is crazy because, you know, they have LeBron and Davis and maybe that this will prove to be a naive statement, but I don't consider them part of the contending conversation at this point. We'll see what they do this summer, but I just don't see a way out of it for them. And they don't seem to be on a path to figuring a way out of it, like, you know, to where I would consider them a contender. So I'm torn and I'll, I'll end on this and we'll get out of here. Um you know, it is hard. You don't forget LeBron and AD got that job done. It was only two years ago, right? This is a championship team not that long ago. What I think is going to be fascinating is if Russ is back, if the tone is everything we're talking about. To me, the the point comes when LeBron, knowing him fairly well, um, I think there's a threshold here where LeBron will, will say, all right, fine, Russ is still here, but let me tell you something. Going into this year, like I'm not – like with his basketball IQ, I, I don't think LeBron is going to be quiet when it comes to the way Russ is handled. If he thinks Russ needs to come off the bench and play 12 minutes, then I think Russ comes off the bench and plays 12 minutes. If, I mean, if he thinks that he should do more, that's going to be on LeBron. But I think his fingerprints will be all over the the usage uh, of Russell Westbrook in the future because of the stakes, you know, because of his age, because of father time, because of that ticking clock. Sounds like a delightful situation for a new coach to walk yeah. into. I'm sure all coaching candidates are extremely excited about that setup. Indeed. All right, brother. I know you got to run. Appreciate the time. Thank you, as always, to the loyal listeners. Uh, shout out to our guy, Fred Katz. He wasn't feeling too great this week. Hopefully he's good for next week, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.